Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Everybody, welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Ewan Patterson. Hello! <laughs> joined by Josh Brown. Hello, fellas. The one thing everyone's talking about right now is the ongoing saga with Xbox, and we have a response from Phil Spencer responding to the ongoing conversation around them removing their exclusives and putting them on multi-platforms. Phil Spencer over on X slash Twitter says, We're listening and we hear you. We've been planning a business update for uh, sorry, a business update event for next week where we look forward to sharing more details with you about our vision for the future of Xbox. Stay tuned. Man didn't deny it. Man didn't deny it at all. He um, also didn't um, explain who he's hearing. Is he hearing the people who are saying like, we don't want this? Or is he hearing the people who are saying, yeah, are they I want this right now. in the room with you right now, Phil Spencer, because <laughs> everyone else is trying to get them. Uh, we just thought we'd just do a little check up on this. There's a lot of things going on. Um, yeah, assuming that we're going to find out next week what the ongoing, the overall future plan is for Xbox. But the fact that he didn't deny it, I think is the biggest takeaway um, because this does make the most sense for the bottom line, the idea of getting the likes of Starfield and Hellblade 2. Even in Indiana Jones and the Groot Circle on uh, <laughs> on PS5 um, is going to make uh, money for you know the company overall. But you and thoughts on this, my friend? Yeah, it feel like it kind of shocked me. And then as the pieces were laid out in front of me, I realized that I'm actually the world's worst detective, and that this has been building to this <laughs> moment probably for the last uh, few years. You mm-hmm. mentioned before we came on that um, Ryan McCaffrey of IGN had assembled a bunch of quotes from Phil Spencer that seemed to be foreshadowing this uh, multi-platform publishing future. Mm -hmm. It raises all sorts of interesting questions. It's convenient for me as a PlayStation guy because now I get to play (laughs) Indiana Jones in the title that is bad. Um, But also, you know, the interesting concerns about how with Xbox not being, you know, involved in hardware, we've, we've got a new console coming at some mm-hmm. point. There's this rumored streaming cloud-based device thing. Um, but it's interesting that if Xbox goes, the market share for Sony in regards to, you know, really powerful hardware, stuff that well, I'm going to get yelled at for saying that can compete with the PC. It can't yeah. compete with the PC, but it's moving towards that level. Um, that's only going to be PlayStation's purview now. We don't have Xbox to do that anymore. And Nintendo has its kind of own space within the industry. So, mm-hmm. you know, interesting concerns there about competition. How is this going to work out? But also it's kind of funny that for the past few months I've been yelling at PlayStation for never having, you know, built their own Halo or like <laughs> Call of Duty or whatever. And now they're just going to, they've played the long game. They've won anyway. It's like, oh, we'll, we'll get it anyway. That's the, yeah, I, I want to read out a little uh, a quote from from Jeff Keighley in a second, but I, yeah, what do you think about the whole like the competition space thing? Because I was like, is it going to be that thing where you have Xbox games available on PlayStation either through a Game Pass app or they're just available anyway, but it has an Xbox splash screen thing when you load up Call of Duty um, or whatever? Or, you know, th- that idea of trying to have like feature parity, it's like if that's all done through streaming, are you streaming a 4K 60, 4K 120? Th- is it the Google Stadia dream that never came true? And that's what, you know, and then it's like, oh, well, if you buy the um, the streaming box, the Xbox streaming box, yeah. which we've is leaked as the next system they're doing um if they do that it does that is that where you get the best possible stream it's interesting man it, and it's very strange because i wonder whether it will be a combination of streaming and downloads or if it is just going to be streaming on mm. their end because and we mentioned it in the podcast yesterday but to me in terms of the competition this is microsoft kind of finally putting their money where their mouth is because mm. for so long they've claimed that they're not in the business with sony and nintendo those aren't their direct competitors they keep saying our direct competitors are google and amazon and those big tech titans and this to me if it does happen the way we're thinking where it's a complete overhaul of their exclusivity approach Mm -hmm. and all of these games are now going to come to PlayStation. That's them finally saying, yeah, we don't care. Like, we we, we don't care about directly competing with you on the kind of 
on the on the battlefield that has been established in the yeah. console space for the past 30 years. You know, we're doing something different. Whether that different thing is good or not, I'm not entirely sure. It was always like the, the 4D chess thing yeah. of like, are they just, they're just planning bigger moves. Jeff Keighley weighed in a little bit. Um, Twitter spaces, apparently still a thing. Didn't, uh, X spaces, over on Twitter spaces, Jeff Keighley weighed Tell in. Me, I'm floating in on the social media. He's I'm got, talking to people. He's, got, <laughs> he's on the important ideas platform. in the marketplace of free thought. Apparently, but it's written up by CG Magazine. Uh, Keighley said, I don't think it's necessarily fully, uh, fully doom and gloom or Xbox is leaving the hardware business. I think it's probably something like they're going to be experimenting with some games on other platforms and exploring what's possible there. Movies go through different windows of being theatrical and then coming to disc and then premium VOD and Netflix. Um, he did say he has no insider you know, knowledge of this stuff, but it's just, I guess it's just exploring a different way of getting games to people. Um, it is worth throwing in that like, it's super easy to just be like, well, cool, more games are available to more people. Like yeah. if you have PlayStation, you can play Starfield. I think it's just that wider ramification of shaking the industry up so much, um, which is what you were saying, Ewan, about like, obviously there's the competition space, there's the idea of people who have forked out the money for like a 500 pound, $500 system. And then arguably, at least I would say, so they've not necessarily paid that off since 2020. Um, you know, there's not really any games, uh, you know, digital otherwise that are like blowing people away but the first party the anyway. thing that is just that's this is what i mean right the fundamental issue for me is that i don't think xbox needs to move into this space i feel like this is an interesting like you said before josh their main competitors and their eyes are you know the amazons the googles the netflixes of the world but it's interesting because i feel like this all boils down to if you have good games on your console the players will come and obviously yeah. game pass is a great you know service or whatever but the exclusives are what sold the playstation mm -hmm. like in the play the ps4 like spider-man was such a huge get you have like like really powerful first uh, party developers like Naughty Dog. Um, and this kind of coincided with a period of like, you know, Halo kind of not doing what it needed to be. The Gears mm. sequels kind of, you know, not really having the same cultural clout they had in the late mm. 2000s. So the answer for me, if I was still in charge of Xbox, which, you know, maybe it's a good thing I'm not, would be to, <laughs> I'm just going to make as many good games as possible and we'll we'll market this in the idea. Because I was going to get an Xbox to play. You were right on the yeah, line. Right? Because I have most of my older libraries, like OG Xbox, Xbox 360. This was going to be the thing that would take me over the edge, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to do that now. But this, so, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm so, because obviously, um, you know, Spencer's out there saying we're going to have the, the proper update next week. They were working on announcing this anyway. It's how it, it's how it ended up leaking in advance. But like, how the hell do you navigate that messaging? Like to say like, hey, it's cool. Our exclusives are going to be available on other systems. So you don't need an Xbox to play these games. What is your bit after that that says, but still care about us. I think the one is a place to leave is still Game Pass. It's yeah. still the value of that because yeah, you can now maybe play Indiana Jones on PlayStation, but it's gonna cost you 70 quid, mm -hmm. you know? I think their allure to their console and their sort of ecosystem will be, all of these things are gonna be multi-platform mm -hmm. and they're probably gonna spin that as, we're the good guys, we're looking after the consumer, we don't wanna lock our games up. We're the gamers. Yeah, we're <laughs> the gamers. Um, but then they're gonna say, you know, oh, but you should still buy an Xbox because all of these games from all yeah. of these publishers and these great developers will be day one game pass and it'll cost you 15 quid a month as opposed to forking out 70 quid um, for the competitions software. I hadn't thought of the fact that they can do, I mean, that, that'll be when Sony will barge in, but, or Nintendo potentially, but like having advertising within the games that are on your other platforms to remind you that you could be getting this as part of a deal um, over on Xbox. And maybe that's just, again, it, it all, they're way more obviously business decisions and money decisions than they are creative decisions. However, there is that underpinning um, or the underlying sentiment from Phil Spencer from the very beginning of like, how do we greenlight the most games overall um, and give you know those developers a, a platform to actually put them out somewhere? Um, because a lot of those bigger bets that are being made aren't paying off. And with, like we've said on every every bit of news and every pod and everything for the last month or so, a couple of months, um, that there are so many layoffs and the, num the number of layoffs is in the, is over 10,000 now. Like it's ludicrous. Um, and so I wonder how much this almost has to be the future of gaming. However, the conversation then is like, well, what production level can you do with this model? Um, and like, would you ever get a Last of Us and a, a GTA 6 or whatever? Like the third parties maybe take care of that and they don't care. Um, but I mean, you know, there's some of the fallout when we saw Indiana Jones in motion was like, well, that doesn't look like it's on par with a new gen thing, but maybe it either can't be or doesn't need to be. Speculation, of course, but I, I think making those games multi-platform does make it more likely that those production um, values will remain mm. high or go higher, because I think they are probably looking at the bottom line and saying, you know, if we spend $300 million to make an Indiana Jones game, it's just not going to be justifiable in any sense to then release that straight away on Game Pass, lose out on those sales 
channels and you know just hope we get the engagement and yeah. we can make it up in subscriptions I just don't think it's going to quit for games of that budget so I, I, I imagine in their eyes they're looking at the potential revenue from you know these different markets and, and saying look if the future is still going to be at least in part these hugely lavish games mm-hmm. we need to get the money in from somewhere and we need to do it in a way that doesn't just completely been off the idea of Game Pass and that part of our revenue. So I, I, for me, I don't think we'll see a lowering of standards in that regard, right. which is you know maybe a good or a bad thing depending on how you even want uh, the culture of game production to be in the modern era. You know? Yeah, I'm definitely just like whatever. I'm, I'm, I am, I've said before, like, I'm that Sonic meme. Like I want more games by smaller teams that are being paid more. And I'm not kidding. Like I, yeah, I want all that stuff. I want you to do away with the multiple hundred million dollar budgets that result in so many bodies on the floor afterwards. Um, shout out to Drowning Pool. But uh, I think that still the way that uh, the industry is at the minute <laughs> needs a shakeup and. Um, yeah, what do you, do you think overall? I guess you and do you think this is the future of gaming? The idea of just like Xbox is an app on your TV, PlayStation is an app on this your TV. This is the thing, right? I'm coming at this again from that kind of film perspective. Is that obviously streaming has been a part of the movies and TV landscape now for like what 14 years or so? We've had 4K streaming. I forget like how long now, about 10 years or something yeah, like that. Yeah, probably about that. Um, but even if you have a 4K stream, mm. it's not going to be. You're going to get compression. It's not going to be the same experience as having a Blu-ray disc or a 4K Ultra HD disc. Mm-hmm that you would put in your, you know, Blu-ray player or 4K player or or PS5 or Xbox Series X. It's just not fundamentally the same thing. I am not sure the technology is where it needs to be for (laughs) a streaming future. I think a download Um, machine certainly makes sense. mm -hmm. Um, As much as I may bristle against the idea of like, you know, going away with physical media entirely, and especially so given how bad the gaming industry is, you know, preservation and stuff. That makes sense. The streaming side of things, I think this is still ultimately too soon. Obviously, Stadia died, you know. Yeah, I, I, I and fast Stadia, as well. So I don't know how the technology actually kind of translated mm. and how, you know, obviously it's very difficult to break into that space when PlayStation and Xbox had such a big market share. Mm. But fundamentally, I'm not sure that the technology is where it needs to be for a all streaming future to happen. And it's I would like... be concerned if Xbox is banking on that because I don't think you're going to get the responsiveness that you need. I don't know if any of you guys actually fiddled around with gaming as like streaming and obviously the yeah, yeah. PS Now and stuff, yeah. which out of the gate, that was pretty clunky. Yeah. And obviously things are evolving very, very quick with technology at the minute, but I just do not see streaming as a replacement for something that you actually have on your hard drive that you play. What do you think of that for now? Because I, I can do the Xbox side in a sec, but like PlayStation streaming has come a long way. It has, you know, it really has. I think, I think Ewan's right in that, especially for now, like the tech just isn't there not mm. to adopt it on mass like they apparently want. However, I do wonder whether in, you know, six years time, 10 years time, it will be more of a, a reliable bedrock, you know, I didn't like it when the Xbox One was announced um, back in 2013 and they were pushing towards this old digital future and I still think a lot of their policies at the time were wrong especially like always online not being able to share games and stuff but they were kind of right about the the trajectory of the gaming industry moving to that old digital future and we're kind of there now like game sales now are so predominantly moving towards you know these in-app purchases rather than physical sales I mean we just found out a few weeks ago that was it um, game in the UK stopping trade-ins altogether you know that kind of way of doing business has fallen by the wayside so I do think they are probably and it pains me to say it correct in the long term it's just going to be a case of how long term is that going to be? Is it going to be five years? Is it going to be 10? Is it going to be 20? You know, I still think VR is the future of gaming because of course <laughs> I do. But, you know, I, 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 10 years ago, I said in 10 years, everyone will be playing VR games. It's going to be like 20 or 30. You know what I mean? More, it, yeah. it tech takes a long time. And I think we've seen so many times, not just in the gaming industry, but across the entire tech industry of, you know, these companies and these executives planning for the future, but jumping too far ahead, saying this is going to be the big thing, Mm -hmm. but putting it out there when it's undercooked and underdeveloped and having everyone reject it because it's just, it's 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 not where they want it to be. No, it's like if Stadia was, if, if this Xbox stuff works out and then Stadia released then, it would make infinitely more sense than it did uh, five, six, seven years ago. Um, yeah, one thing is that the on the, the hardware, sorry, on the technology side, Xbox streaming is like spot on. Like the resolution may take a dip, but the way that they do their servicing stuff, your uh, the responsiveness of controlling something is always there. Um, I was quite surprised in like the most, 
best pleasant way possible that everything just played well. Um, like, yeah, maybe there was bits of um, compression bitrate stuff and, like, whatever, but it, it felt like it should. And I was like, that's, like, one of the main things to get over the hurdle, and I think they can they can hang a lot on there. I think they've still got to overcome the Stadia-adjacent negativity around game streaming. I'm not going to say this is going to work, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not even, again, I'm not saying I even like this, but I think if the rumors are true and that they're going to sell that next streaming platform for, what was it, $99 or something? The Keystone thing. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if, are they even bothered about their about the fidelity. You know, I don't for, think they are. Yeah. I, don't think, I think because, we, again, it's with film, people now consume film and TV primarily through streaming and it's only nerds and dorks like me. <laughs> like, actually, the, the bit right and the Turn the motion smoothing very, off. Very good. Yeah. Well, just kill the motion. <laughs> but in terms of that, actually, I think that is the thing where it's going, but that also raises interesting questions. If they don't care about fidelity as much, will we see less intensive video games? Well, that could be a potential positive side effect of this if they realize that people aren't as bothered about like the most minute geometry in the yeah. video game. And Which is what I've been campaigning for as well. sacrificing some of that from, strip, uh, from streaming. Um, then maybe that could be a potential, you know, think about it. It's, it's a very interesting unsure part that we're going into yeah. here. Mm. And I do wonder if, again, in, in 10 years' time, we look at physical media, it's going to be like boutique. You know how we have like Arrow and Criterion? No, for yeah, like, yeah. For like <laughs> movies, we're going to get a gaming equivalent. We always, obviously have limited run games. Yeah. Is this going to be a thing where as people move further and more into that digitized space, we're mm. just going to get, hey, you can get special edition thing that's limited it's run. going to be like a vinyl revival, but for disc-based oh games. Yeah, but there's no, there's no consoles that will take them anymore. You have to no, get an old true. system. I do want to say, um, when you think about Xbox history, like having been there since the very beginning, like they've been in this position multiple times over. Like I was looking across a few things last night I wanted to remind myself, like they were the first console to have a hard drive. Hmm. And like that was a big deal. Like, Xbox Live was a huge deal. Achievements were a huge deal. Um, they've only really missed in terms of like trying to because you know they had the whole indie gaming boom that predated them sort of you know being accepted in the Museum of Modern Arts in New York in 2013 like indie games were on the Xbox store first uh, where they were mandating demos like they were doing stuff that Sony weren't doing and they got all of that stuff right for so long it was only the end of the 2000s when you started getting the Kinect and like the Avatar stuff and um, that just obviously bombed and they tried to connect again they were like what if you could control your um, home living space and that, that would didn't Remember go well Milo. yeah exactly all the Milo <laughs> stuff but they've only re- they've got it I would say they've only got it wrong let's say twice if you count the connect twice like both of those moves towards the end of the 2000s and the start of the 2010s and they've been recovering ever since then and now like and it's what you can argue that it's in their dna as a company to try these next big leaps for whatever the medium yeah. is and this is a leap i just i don't know like at this obviously at this stage we just don't know what their full plans are but this if this is the future of gaming the whole netflix for gaming thing you pick up a, a dual shock or um, a dual sensory off a, a table and you just go on the app on your tv and it works yeah that's what they're aiming for and they always have they have been for years now i think when ewan was saying earlier you know, why don't they just make like those exclusives because it will attract people like you to the console and they will buy the console because of that. I think the reason that they don't want to do that is because of what you just said there. Like they've they've played second fiddle for what, at least 10 years. Oh, yeah. And even in the Xbox 360 era where we always associate with them with being on top, these market leaders, they eventually got outsold by the PlayStation 3 anyway. Yeah, you know? I think being in second place, I don't imagine the company will kind of, like I said, want to play Sony at their own game. Like, I don't think they're interested in that because they want to be seen, like you, like you mentioned there, as these innovators who brought Xbox uh, indies to the forefront with Xbox Arcade and Xbox Live and the hard drive and all of that stuff. And if they do go toe-to-toe with Sony and fight in that playing field, they're always going to lose in yeah, that regard. Yeah. And they have made some big swings that have missed massively, apart from my beloved Star Wars Connect, which absolutely <laughs> rules. Um, and this might be one of them, but that's why I think they are so keen to say, right, we're not associated with Sony. We're, we're going after Amazon mm-hmm. Thingy. And I kind of wonder, going back to the PS5 multi-platform thing and the Phil Spencer meeting that's coming up, I mentioned this in the podcast yesterday, but my biggest piece of speculation and kind of conspiracy theory is I, I want to know who made this decision because my theory mm. is still that it kind of goes against, in a way, what Phil Spencer was promising in the FTC trial against Activision and what he was promising before then about, you know, he wants to keep some things um, exclusive. He's not buying these companies necessarily to share everything he's got. Mm. So I wonder, still... Whether that's $70 billion deal, the $68 billion deal has just brought, and I said this yesterday as well, so sorry for repeating if you listen to that, the eye of Siron of Microsoft as a whole onto Xbox. Because when you start spending that amount of money, I think it has to be a response from Microsoft to say, look, you were kind of flying under the radar. We weren't too bothered about you before when you were just like this division. We didn't have much oversight. Kind of like how... 
Ken Levine studio in 2K was apparently treated, where 2K wasn't really bothered because they weren't spending that much money, the mm. resources, they didn't mind it going on 10 years. And I wonder whether you, when you start making these moves, they're now going, right, make us some money. You know, make yeah. us a re- return on this investment. You've, you've spent all of this. I don't care how we do it. The model isn't justifying the money we want in return, get these things on PlayStation, mm-hmm. get them on Nintendo consoles. Like, let's spread out because we want our money, baby. Yeah, and hardware is not doing well for them and hasn't for a long time. It's like, let me think of Al Pacino and he was like, give me what you got. <laughs> <laughs> give me what you got. <laughs> anyway, all the Xbox stuff that's going on, let's talk about more news in the industry, which is Last of Us Part 3 being teased slash confirmed according to some sources by Neil Druckmann. Depends how much you want to run with what the man said. Uh, Neil Druckmann was speaking over on the new Grounded 2 documentary, which is the making of The Last of Us Part 2. It's included in The Last of Us 2 Remastered, and then it's also on YouTube as well. Um, and in part of the interview, he's um, talking about the idea of, you know, uh, what would Last of Us Part 3 be? Um, and Druckmann said he had to wait quite a while until there was a solid enough concept for the game that lined up well enough with Parts 1 and 2. And he says, I've been thinking about it. Is there a concept there? And for now, yes. I haven't been able to find that concept, but recently that's changed. I don't have a story, but I do have that concept that to me is, ex- is as exciting as Part 1 or Part 2. Uh, is its own thing, yet has this through line for all three games. So it does feel like there's probably one more chapter to this story. Thoughts on this, Josh Brown? Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, baby. Druckman, yeah. baby. That's not Austin Powers. Man, you know I'm hyped for this. As soon as I saw yes. this little quote doing the rounds, I thought, this is a bit of me. Honestly, I know we've all been pining for a new IP from Naughty Dog, which it seems like they're doing next. Yes. Funk I, the maker. I have always said I'd like them to finish The Last of Us arc and then move yeah. on to something because, you know, I like the idea of them just doing a complete story and then moving on. You know, we got The Last of Us in between um, Uncharted 3 and 4, which kind of kick-started the next era of Naughty Dog, if you will, and it seems like we're getting something like that again, where we'll get a new IP and then afterwards we'll get the closing of the chapter. And I'm just really interested in, like, the, the wider impact of this because obviously we've got the show ongoing right now you know just finished its first season well finished its first season last year on HBO Mm -hmm. is currently casting for the second that was a huge smash hit and they're going to need material for season three that's still or season four that's still a little while away but the realities of game development and how long it takes Naughty Dog to produce one of these massive titles the the link between the game and the show was what always made me think they would just do that next so yeah. they can yeah. have that material ready. So the fact that they're not doing that, it means to me at least that they're kind of probably prioritizing what they want to do as a studio rather than thinking about the franchise as a whole, which is cool. Yeah, the the whole idea of them doing a new IP and then the next Last of Us is, is nectar to my ears, which isn't a really... A thing that can be done, but I'll take the nectar. The I want it can go in there. It better party. do. I want something other than them just doing more Last of Us. I don't like them just being the Last of Us studio. Um, and I've talked far too much about how much I'm done with the Last of Us at this point. It's just it does feel like the franchising of us. I'm done. It was one beautiful little game for me. I loved Last of Us two until I finished it, and then I was like, I'm done. I didn't really need that, even though it was very well done. You where you at on all this? Yeah, I mean, uh, I haven't played Last of Us two. I've, I've played the first one when it first came out. A friend, uh, the right way by going over to a friend's house. To play it on the PlayStation yeah. 3 <laughs> in several increments. So I actually haven't sat down with Last of Us 2 um, because it came out during the big pandemic. Right and yeah. I was like, I don't think I can, I can sit through. I don't want to... No, I don't want to kill someone who's got a PlayStation Vita. They're just like me for real. <laughs> and I'm not about that. Left anyway. um, but you know, I think I, I'm, I'm always here for, for new newness. I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited for Josh Brown to get another Last of Us as well. Thank you. And I will get around <laughs> to playing this game eventually. I just, I think I'm just at one point in time. I was like, didn't play the, first, didn't initially check out the OG game because I was like, ah, zombies are everywhere. I kind of bump with zombies. Don't mm. give me more zombies, zombies, zombies. And then two came out, and I was like footage not found because it was like in 2020 uh, and I'm definitely going to get around to it especially with the new remaster that's come out as well I might treat myself and do a little Last of Us remaster combo it is the best way to play that big game. meal feast I'll tell you what man like playing The Last of Us Part 1 which is like the remake of that like which brings it in line with the fidelity of Part 2 mm. playing those two things back to back is absolutely gorgeous like it's yeah. just a great little experience and um, Part 1 is like the tightest game ever made. I love part two. I think it's better, but the way that's updated the combat, it just makes it, in my opinion, the perfect Mm. version of that game. I know people might prefer the older character models or whatever, Mm. but 
I enjoyed part one so much more than I thought. So all of this is a long-winded saying, a way of saying you win a please do what you just suggested. Yeah, so I think absolutely. A fun time. I'm also really looking forward to Naughty Dog doing a new game because yes, like yeah. as much as I, I think they're such a talented studio, uh, I bloody love the first Last of Us game. I bloody love Uncharted 4, but I did not care for the three preceding Uncharted before that, which I know is quite a, oh, okay. a, a wild take to have potentially. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing them step out of those, those boundaries because I feel like what, for the past... 15 years, it has just been uncharted. And, oh, they, and Last of Us, right? Yeah, they switched a lot from like the, uh, they were like the rock, like rock star. Yeah. They had such a turnaround of different IP across the 2000s. And then it was like, they did their first fourth installment with Uncharted 4. Lost Legacy was phenomenal as well. I remember everyone sort of doubting whether that could feel worthwhile because it was initially a DLC. Um, but yeah, they've just been the Uncharted and Last of Us studio for a while. I hate the idea, but my brain thought of it as we were talking about this, that their new IP was probably greenlit or massaged to become a live service because it, it would have been talked about during the Jim Ryan live service. I an awful squeak there. <laughs> the hear. But I wonder what the hell that thing is. I... I really hope not. I'm not that cynical about it. Right. Just because I think they were already massaged to do a live service with the factions. Talking about massaging. Know, get off it. those shoulders. You put that euphemism in my brain. What was the right word for it? It was like sort of like punched and kicked and forced into a mold they didn't want to be anywhere near. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Malformed. I, I don't... In my head, you know, Sony never said that they were only doing live services. Even in their big business no. meeting, like last year, they, they said going forward, it's more or less going to be 50-50. Like 50% mm. of our games, live service, 50% the single player games we're known for. The stuff that'll actually sell. Yeah, exactly. Um, so with that in mind, I can't imagine, honestly, there was any pressure for the whatever the next new IP is to be... Mm a live service in nature or multiplayer in nature, just in the same way I can't imagine that Spider-Man 3 will be or the next, or Horizon Forbidden West or Ragnarok was. You know, I imagine Sony were definitely pushing for multiplayer spin-offs of those IPs, but I, I don't think even in the Jim Ryan era, they, were, <laughs> they would be um, insane enough to say... Naughty Dog, make your next IP like also, live service. Yeah, it's also worth saying that in the Grounded documentary, and we've done this for a while anyway, you can pick up, I loved Naughty Dog's 30th anniversary art book, which I know now it'll be like 10 years old or whatever, but he, Druckmann says in the documentary that Naughty Dog do have a lot of creative say-so, like that, you know, they are like, they're quite an anomaly in the Sony space kind of thing, um, as opposed to like Insomniac, you mentioned Spidey before, like they, part of that Insomniac leak was a multiverse, multiplayer Spider-Man game. Yes. Like even that was being brought under the wider mandate for live service stuff. But, um, um, yeah, you, what were you going to say there? You know, no, I just think it's interesting because like you mentioned there, like it, the thing that will always kind of intrigue me about Naughty Dog in this era is that that Last of Us Factions game was probably the most excited I was to check out a live service title oh. because the multiplayer <laughs> for the first Last of Us is genuinely, great, genuinely yeah. class. Really strong kind of cult following around that mode. It's a shame that they never got the, to grips around that, but I totally agree with you. I, I think, you know, Naughty Dog is the prestige single-player AAA studio under PlayStation. It is brand PlayStation, mm. more so than Sony Santa Monica or Insomniac. Oh, yeah, this is yeah. literally the prestige. You know, Last of Us, everything. This is PlayStation to me. So for me... I can't see them being massaged or rubbed Cancel the into, massages. into doing that. Yeah. I, think, I, I think maybe it could have an element to it. Yeah. But the interesting thing that, I, I mean, even saying that, obviously with the way the industry has been panning out recently, um, it's very rare that you have a single player game with a bolt-on multiplayer mode. Um, it either has to be multiplayer live service or just a unique single player experience. So I'm interested to see what they'll come up, come up with because obviously mm. they're really good at those those polished single player action adventures. But I'm curious to see if there's any other gameplay innovations they could take in or they just continue yeah. their, their you know, reputation as we are the stellar narrative guys and we have really cool physics-based things going on and you know detail and fidelity and all that. Mm -hmm. What I like about where Naughty Dog is right now is that they have competition. And you talked earlier on, Ewan, about like the importance of competition in this industry and what happens to Sony if they don't have a mic yourself to push them towards innovations in the console space. I think at one point, Naughty Dog was so far and above the other studios that Sony owned. Um, and they still kind of are, in my opinion. I still think they are exactly what you said. They're like the proper marquee, the mm. crown in, uh, the jewel in Sony's crown. But over the past 10 years, seven years, every other PlayStation studio has kind of been leveled up. Yeah. You know, you've got Sucker Punch coming in with Ghost of Tsushima. You've got the incredible two God of War games, which to some completely knocks Naughty Dog's output out of the water narratively and from a gameplay perspective. So I'm interested to see with this new IP, 
does Naughty Dog make any changes or bold risks to try to reclaim, or not even reclaim, but solidify their top reassert, um, marquee status? Re- yeah, reassert, reiterate their status as <laughs> a cut above everything else Sony has to offer. Well, it's like it's interesting thinking about the last like 11 years now of like when the first Last of Us came out, obviously it was a seismic thing, one of the best games of all time, if not the best game of all time, and then the impact that had on Sony's first party. Like God of War, the rebooted God of War is a, is a Last of Us thing of that franchise. Um, and you see a lot of like cinematics and, and Sony first party stuff taking a lot of cues from The Last of Us, like the slow walking sections um, with a smaller character next to you or whatever. There was a lot of, um, Last of Us became Sony's first party identity. And I wonder how much they then need to stick to that or what you're talking about the one studio that can actually overhaul that and be like this is the next 10 years of Sony and flesh it out that way that's it right because you know like um, Sony only model themselves around The Last of Us when The Last of Us was invented. You mm. know what I mean? So oh, yeah. I wonder what the next thing is going to be, whether it will be from Naughty Dog or whether it'll be from one of those other studios that they own. I think there were a few more details in that grounded documentary, or at least in the write-ups that I read about, because I'm yet to get to it, <laughs> that mentioned initially The Last of Us Part Two was actually taken inspiration from... From Bloodborne. Inspiration from Bloodborne, yeah, which absolutely rules. Rules so hard, I couldn't even get the words out because I was that excited. (laughs) And then they backtracked that up from that a little bit. But the idea of a Naughty Dog game that is way more open in terms of both its combat and mm. its um, level design and exploration, it does feel like they've been inching towards that for the past few years. The Last of Us 2, obviously the most open game they've ever made. Mm. The early Seattle section where you're just walking around that city um, and investigating side missions and, you know, getting to grips with the world in a way that we hadn't been given the chance to before. Mm-hmm. I love that stuff. So whether it's in a similar genre or not, going more open world, going a bit more Bloodborne in terms of the combat, mm. that's that would be cool if they hang on to those ideas. That Bloodborne thing was fascinating because they said the early version, of, and they show bits of like prototype footage, like the original Last of Us 2 was like an open, like a more open-spaced, entirely melee-based game. It was them doing a Souls game, um, which is fascinating. And it's like, I wouldn't, I'd be curious what a Naughty Dog Souls game would be. Uh, maybe you can hybridize something where you have open spaces, but the cinematics are on point and it's like, you have all these different, you know, lessons learned on the gameplay side from the different multiplayer modes that they have done, like Uncharted 4, and maybe there's a way of bringing all that stuff together and taking all these different boxes. Um, but either way, like the idea of a third part for The Last of Us, um, as much as I'm sick of the IP and uh, and the remasters and I didn't like the TV show, yada yada, mm-hmm. I do want an end to Ellie's story. I yeah. do want a part three. Um, I love that character. Like, I love all the characters so much. It's kind of why I'm sick of seeing them dragged out so much. But I just want that resolution. Like, I want to see what happens there. I was going to say, like, because again, I haven't played it. I'm familiar with most of the spoilers now by virtue of being on the internet and <laughs> yes. chronically online, but where do you both see The Last of Us? What is the most interesting direction The Last of Us 3 could be to... Are we going full? Do you not mind about spoilers? Well, I, I don't mind. I know the, I know the main gist. There's the big year yeah. towards the start. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's general like thematic stuff and uh, yeah, more story stuff so that so happens. Do you, you do like a time skip? Are you going to pick up immediately afterwards? Or? Uh, I would like them to steer into going straight after. What does Ellie do to... Uh, what's that conversation with Dina look like? How does she internalize what she did uh, with that final... Why You can delve into why she let Abby go if you want, but I think it's more about uh, learning from the... Giving into the, the violence. Like, you know, you have this whole thing about how... Um, who molded Ellie over time and has she actually fully been able to be her own person or was she following in the footsteps of Joel and that idea of like she unleashed this side of her that comes from the training that Joel gave her as a way to survive and I want to see what the real her is Um, and I think you can make the whole third game about that Um, I would like some I would like it if I think about how the trilogy might feel at the end of it where you've got quite a Last of Us 1 is not a light hearted game but it does have a through line of positivity like it does have a life is worth living feel and Last of Us 2 has that as well but it's buried under a lot more uh, macabre subject matter and macabre visuals and like you've really got to pull it out of there kind of thing and uh, I would hope that for part three um, we kind of round the bend on all of that and do some sort of life as with more uplifting overall soulful message because they're, they're in there even Uncharted 4 had that scene um, you know because Last of Us has the draft scene like Uncharted 4 had uh, Lost Legacy had the Rhino scene mm-hmm. like they have a lot of like this planet's worth being on stuff and I think that they can tell a, a beautiful story in there and I don't think people would see it coming necessarily necessarily um and it, and some of the strongest you know um elements of light come from the darkest subject matters and i just i want them to do that i want them to do like ellie learns from all those mistakes and it's not if you if she perceives them as mistakes and how does she learn to live with that and can she get her wife and child back essentially yeah. 
No, I I like a lot of I like a lot of what you're putting down there, Scott. I'm picking a lot of that stuff. <laughs> I like up. what's on the table. I do like what you're putting on the table. I honestly I don't know where I want part three to go. In the same way that I didn't know where I wanted part two to go. Mm. Like like you mentioned, you know, The Last of Us Part One uh, had such a perfect ending. Felt like such a self-contained thing. Obviously, there were little threads you can pick up and mm-hmm. stuff, but the ambiguity was part of the point, right? Mm-hmm. And with Last of Us Part Two, the only thing I want from a sequel, direct sequel to it, is just, yeah, that sort of happier ending for Ellie. I don't think it would have worked in Part Two with the way that story goes, but I love that character so much. She's been through so much yeah. that I don't want, you know, she just doesn't have to have a game where she just sits on a farm for the entire thing, though I would <laughs> take that. But yeah, a little bit of contentness. If it's not happiness, a little bit of peace with everything yeah, that she's yeah. sort of gone through. Um, and I would like to see Abby back. I wonder if they kind of change playable characters again because you know we had joel in part one the baton was passed at the end of that game to Mm. ellie we played through the first part of part two with ellie then the baton's passed on to abby i wonder if we do something similar here where ellie is maybe more of an npc than a playable character i don't know that'd be cool but i'm I'm, yeah i'm excited to see what they do if they are envisioning it as the end of a trilogy the end of an arc yeah Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Getting development is that they learn how to harvest mushrooms from the fungus people. At <laughs> least <laughs> just like, I'm a chef now. Oh, just you know Or is that already a grim development no, they've done now? No, but it's, it's actually made me think of the show because mm. the show is pretty faithful, though it does bring in some other stories, mm. and it remixes stuff with the infected. Mm. Uh, one of them, one of the big changes being that they're all connected to, like, more or less a hive mind. So if you stand on the mushrooms out in the wild, it sends, like, a signal to them all become rushing. And when the show was airing, Neil Druckmann said he'd love to incorporate mm. some of those elements from the show mm. into the game. And they evolve. Yeah. Mm. So I'm interested to see if that happens, if he does look at those ideas, or maybe ideas that they've planned for season two, and says... I'll have a little bit of that. That's a cool um, twist on things. Let's yeah. implement that into the game. And plus, like that does line up with because he'll have to have those conversations with the higher ups, with the boardrooms, with the the PlayStation productions side of things, and like what's happening with the TV show. It will tick those boxes of unifying it and making people check out the game and check out the TV show. It, it, it that that does work for the the franchising of us, as I keep yeah. calling it. But it does work. Like you can have that core to it. Speaking of the franchising of us, um, <laughs> I think Neil in in the documentary mentions that years ago, just after part who launched, he said that he had uh, an outline for another game in the Mm. franchise. We all thought that was The Last of Us Part 3. He's clarified now that that was a spin-off Tommy game. Yeah. Something more akin to The Lost Legacy, like a shorter Miles Morales type experience. And I'm gutted we're not going to get that. I want those spin-offs. Ripping on that mic, I can tell. Ripping on the mic. Because Tommy rules, right? (laughs) And where he ends up in Last of Us Part 2 is just so depressing. It it makes sense to where the character is at Mm. that point and it's hard hitting but he's he is a shell of a man by the end of the last of us party and i think he's got so much depth to him and we've we saw a lot in part two about how ellie reacts to you know the death of someone close to her that grief is so well captured i think but you don't really get to see tommy because he's 
already implemented the plan that Ellie wants to do and he's taken off to Seattle and you get glimpses of him but I, I would love to spend more time with him in that headspace because I think him being the opposite side of the coin to Ellie who eventually does kind of come to terms with the fact that Joel's gone this revenge isn't going to get her anything he doesn't no. and I would love mm. to see that process be played out uh, more directly yeah it depends what they do with it every time that I've doubted uh, Naughty Dog's add-ons they've come back stronger than ever like uh, Left Behind was phenomenal for The Last of Us and uh, Lost Legacy was phenomenal for Uncharted so I would have faith in them I think for me like the way they handle Tommy's thing at the end of Last of Us Part 2 where like you think everything's settled down and it's and he as he unfills the map he's like so anyway Abby's over here and, I, and this is you need to go you still need to go and kill her and it's like I love that reveal because you think he's just making a house call for the sake of um, Ellie and Dina and um, Potato or Turnip or whatever they call the kid and um, like I, yeah I like that I, to me he's a character they say more with without revealing more so I think it would have to be deftly handled yeah. but I do trust them as a writing team to do it either way um, Last of Us is very much here to stay like the uh, season 2 of the show I think is that next year now or later yeah, year? early next year I think right. just starting filming like this month I think yeah and it's just like it's going to be in the conversation and then like you said one of the main reasons to do this or like if there's anything close to an idea they can and follow through on is to make sure there's more material for whatever the full story ends up being but you I, know uh, what I'm there for it I'm with you in man please 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 salvage some of the factions content that you made and put that <laughs> in the game as well why can't we it? have little multiplayer add-on experiences well, like, it's, it's so frustrating that every, if you have multiplayer in your game now it has to be a live service thing it can't even be like we'll have a few DLC packs it's like it's got to be mm. constantly the main investment and focus which I find really frustrating personally. they've got the no return mode in the remaster of Last of Us too, which to me felt like a little sort of chopped off mm -hmm. segment of what could have been a rerunnable, um, you know, online mode or whatever. Which is it's a nice enough little mode. I didn't spend loads of time with it. I got a bit sick of it, but like that's a it's a nice idea to put that thing in there, and you can kind of see them going, okay, what else can we do with the IP? It doesn't need to be this slow burn single player thing. It can be a combat showcase. Even though I largely agree with the people saying like, doesn't that <laughs> completely counteract the message of The Last of Us Two about rejecting violence? But what are you going to do if it sells well? I'll tell you why, man. It, it works because the theme of Last of Us 2 is that, yep. but it's also that violence feels good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you can see why someone indulges in this. So that's, yeah. that's, why, that's, that's for another podcast. Yeah. It is. Not to bring up my obligatory mention of Hell That Loose, but Last of Us Factions is probably the only other multiplayer game where I've gotten that kind of meta-narrative, like building a story in a multiplayer mm. game where... I have to think about what I'm doing mm. and dying is almost as fun as actually <laughs> outthinking your opponent. Yeah. And that, that, that to me, it go, it's up there again. We mentioned Max Payne 3 before we came onto the podcast about like mechanics that I wish were not abandoned. That's probably a list idea in there. Yeah. Oh yeah, so, totally. So like 10 video game things that we can't believe were wasted <laughs> or whatever. We were looking forward to that they didn't give us. Yeah. That they, uh, they cut out. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Call of Duty stuff. Um, Josh, you've got the, the down low, the scoop. Oh, I certainly do. There's been loads <laughs> of Call of Duty stuff over yeah. the past few weeks, like a bunch of builds that have leaked for open world games and third person Call of Duty games we never managed to see. But um, Tom Henderson over on Insider Gaming Tenders. tweeted about Call of Duty's pivot to open world single player campaigns but in there was the revelation that Call of Duty 2025 doesn't actually have a main developer right now and in a follow-up tweet he said quote as mentioned in this article the one on the cod going open world uh, currently Call of Duty 2025 20 months from release does not have an assigned main developer it's my understanding that it was meant to be Sledgehammer Games but following on from the 16 month development cycle of MW3 they basically refused and didn't want to become a two year support studio mm -hmm. High Moon Studios was in the running at 1.2 be the main developer of this new game, and it's, he says it's unclear if that's still the case, which would have made it the fourth studio ever to mainline a Call of Duty game, but I believe that it's likely going to fall to Treyarch Games in the end. Infinity Ward is already developing Call of Duty 2026, and Sledgehammer Games recently got the green light to develop Call of Duty 2027, as per my previous reporting. And yeah, Treyarch is doing the game this year, which is Call of Duty Gulf War, which um, thankfully... They've had four years to develop because Treyarch right, okay. has been called in to yeah, put out fires for the past five years. Yeah. I noted down that Call of Duty Cold War was originally a sledgehammer and I think Raven Software co-production. That didn't pan out. Treyarch was brought in as the main developer on that. Then Sledgehammer Games was put to work on Vanguard, which it had about two years to do, I think. Uh -huh. And then, of course, it's just been on the short end of the stick once again, having, how many was it? 18 months, 16, 16 months to develop MW3, which was originally a DLC and not a premium release. You could so tell. And it's, <clears throat> it's what, it's, Call of Duty has always had an issue with its studios just bearing the brunt 
brunt of these boneheaded decisions by <laughs> the upper upper brass. So in one sense, I'm actually really pleased if this is true that Sledgehammer has just gone, you've screwed us around yeah. too much. We just want to have the time and the resources to make a game. However, if that falls to Treyarch to then plug this gap for Call of Duty 2025, that also sucks. The simple answer, I think, and I'm not a businessman, I don't make uh, $400 I million. Dollars. Be a big, <laughs> big businessman. I make $400 million a year in dividends. I wish I did. <laughs> but surely... Take a year off. Yep. Have yeah. one gap, gap. year off. Gap, You're gap, yeah. kind of Call of Duty. Do you want to just take yep. a minute? You were kind of going to do that last year anyway. Have a gap year and just let everyone kind of recalibrate. Catch a minute. A lot has happened the past five years. I'm not <laughs> sure if you guys know. Why can't you just take Call of Duty off the rails for one year? I wonder. That whole thing with Modern Warfare 3 and the open world levels that they brought in. <laughs> the open combat. Yeah, open yeah. combat, yeah. which was like a, just a way of sort of like, you know, giving you these big open spaces and then separating the encounter, having little pockets of enemies in different places. And it was very obvious that that was the case. Um, and whatever, you can say, well, some people enjoyed that, some people did I wonder how much that thing was a last-minute reality of getting something over the finish line. But because it's still sold well enough, you have the people at the top going like, well, you can just do that again and again and again and again. The, the devs were saying that they they were given... T- from what I saw, it was Sledgehammer who did Modern Warfare 3. It was Infinity Ward. Who did um, no, it was Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer. Yeah. I think what they said was that they were given enough time to make this what they wanted to. But it, That was but in the it, middle of the firestorm. Yeah, like it very much like... Yeah, link, the scars of development really kind of were evident there. Yeah, yeah I, th- I mean, I I get like that's it's always the thing multiple things are true like the people who worked on this obviously gave their heart and soul mm-hmm. sweat and tears into it and they got something over the finish line that still sold very very well and plays immaculately from what you played um it's just the the reality of the things they had to sacrifice in regards to what cod's known for like the yeah. set pieces and um, or a more curated campaign like there are so many plot holes in modern warfare 3's story like things like that that are very obvious yeah i mean there's there is another bloomberg um report from jason schrey that mm dropped just after Modern Warfare 3 launched, and that kind of went into detail about how the initial plan for the campaign was a more streamlined side story, and then when it was turned into a full sequel, Mm. apparently that's when the executives came in and said, we need this to be about, you know, Makarov (laughs) and Soap, and we need to tie it in more directly to number two. I don't know necessarily how they ended up on the open world element. That might have always been the plan in some form, perhaps, but um, it's just so evident, like Ewan said, that that game bears the scars of its fractured development. The fact that even those open pockets are just redesigned areas from Verdansk, Warzone, which yeah. was, yeah, the war, the Warzone map for Modern Warfare 2019. It's just, <laughs> it's it, it, for their first jump into that kind of more experimental style of mm. um, campaign design, it was not the way to go about it. It is clarified in the report that apparently whatever this year's Call of Duty is going to be, Gulf War, if that's the eventual title, mm. that's apparently being built from the ground up to accommodate a more open-world style of play. I think they even reference um, Far Cry as a point of comparison. But um, it's... I don't think it's... Is that what people are here for? Well, that's from what I was ask, So yeah. the thing that I want to say here right now, because if it's it's based on the 90s Gulf War, yes. right? So when the, the coalition, you know, kicks Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait, there is interesting Special Forces-style missions that you could do about the SAS and the US Special Forces who went behind enemy lines and you know, took out uh, the Scud missile launches and stuff like that. So there's lots, contextually speaking, making Call of Duty open world in that setting maybe makes sense. Obviously, you want to have the big set piece moments in and amongst that. But Mm -hmm. if you're talking about conflicts that lend itself well to that premise, that is a good one. The issue that that I have with this is that I'm like, are they try have they looked at the really flashy images that people do of like Ghost Recon Breakpoint where they take the hood off and it looks really <laughs> impressive on a base level, but when you get to it mechanically it falls apart. Because those open combat missions in Modern Warfare 3, the AI were crap. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely crap. And I don't think I, I don't know, like I'm Treyarch have not let me down campaign-wise. I kind of thought Cold War was a bit hit or miss, even though it did have yeah. sexy Robert Redford standing <laughs> guy. Um yeah. so well, that's just like just as a bridge between whatever you're about to say, no, like because you've been way more caught than I do. Even though I try and play one every year, I didn't play Modern Warfare Three. I was the only one I've missed in like over ten years or something. But that's the thing. It's like, what do you want? Because you've had a Warzone as well. Do you think this is them looking at Warzone, the vehicles in Warzone, like the fact that you are going between a first-person shooter model and vehicle stuff and whatever, and then being like, well, how do we make that into the campaign? And it also saves them time on curating cutscene set piece stuff. Absolutely, I think they've got the foundations there. Mm. They've spent so much 
much time and money and resources on Warzone anyway to keep it updated with open world mechanics. On top of that, they've had, you know, DLC and now the open world zombies where they've introduced more mission structures that you would find, you know, in, in a campaign. Uh, pretty much just like side missions from a Far Cry game. But, you know, like <laughs> the, the template is there. So I can see the incentive to capitalize on that because I do think... Warzone is starting to eclipse regular multiplayer in mm. what the average person thinks of when they think of the name Call of Duty. So Mad. it would maybe make sense to focus on those mechanics and the openness, parachuting, or what have you, mm. driving around these locations, and whether that will make that will make people happy because I feel like what people like about Call of Duty generally is that it has those three strong pillars Mm -hmm. and you're getting something different in in the campaign that you get from multiplayer, that you get from zombies, and now what you get from Warzone as well. Mm -hmm. So to sort of blur those lines makes me wonder about the the, the the value and the impact of each one of those. You obliterate the unique identity of each game. You're absolutely yeah. correct there. The biggest issue of Call of Duty Vanguard is that you had a World War II set game that was boring and felt like it, it was behooved to the standards of the modern game. So you have stuff where you can customize a Thompson submachine gun oh, yeah. to have like ridiculous laser sights and extended mags and like clip barrels and stuff like that, which is really stupid. That's my big concern with the Gulf War game is that you know, it wasn't really the era of tactical, you know, like Pickney rails and like ACOG scopes and like laser sights and <laughs> stuff like that. Like that wasn't really a thing. So whenever I look at Call of Duty now, even if it's going to have a compelling setting, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's not been done before. I feel like it's all be, it's all that amorphous. It's moving to that amorphous war zone identity where you had that in the campaign from Modern Warfare 3 where you had, oh, you can pick up this specific gun in a crate yeah. and unlock that little <laughs> endorphin boost in your brain and do that and you can attack that. That is, I do, I think that is where it's heading. I think they've messed up previously by not allowing all of these different studios with their own unique sub-franchises and in allowing them to really stretch the wings of those sub-franchises and create that identity that you mentioned. And over the past few years, especially in looking at the roadmap going forward. Call of Duty as an entity has become this one big homogenous um, combination of all of these different developers and all of these different sub-franchises. Like, even now, while you do have main developers in Call of Duty, there's about eight other studios and some mm. of those main studios working on it. You'll have Sledgehammer Games working on Modern Warfare um, 4. You'll have Treyarch coming in to do, like, the ranked mode or a zombies mode for it. That, that kind of... Um, approach to development is already happening and it's seeping into not only the gameplay modes that they're prioritizing, but even like the the look of each game. You know, if you boot up Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 now, it'll you'll just get Call of Duty as a launch. Yeah, it's a launcher it thing. won't be specific and you can launch Modern Warfare 3 or Modern Warfare 2 or whatever from the menu, but they're really trying to, like I said, homogenize sort of everything and centralize everything into a platform mm. rather than individual releases. And you can even see that in behind the scenes decisions like um, them pushing every studio now to use Infinity Ward's engine, whereas right. in previous years, like everyone would have their own twist on it, or Treyarch would have entirely like their own customized version of it. Now it's just all all in one engine, and that's not necessarily to stifle creativity. I don't think it's just to ensure that this massive machine Lego system um, speaks to each other, right? Yeah. Like it, everything speaks to each other because Warzone. Um, is going to continue as new games come out, and those new games need to feed into Warzone, and Warzone needs to feed into those new games. And if you don't have everything unified, that is a massive headache, like we saw um, when Warzone 1 launched, and we had Cold War coming in and Vanguard coming in, and it was just so much stuff that was grafted onto a system that wasn't intended to support it that it eventually crumbled. Also, so many overlapping live service plans as well. Like, you're planning multiple years of seasons for games that then overlap with the next game coming out, and it's like, on the Services to lie for multiple things. I always thought that, or at least going into the um, the Microsoft acquisition, that they would re- they would relax some of this stuff. And I wonder if they've relaxed it in regards to the size of the um, campaigns that are being made. Because in theory, Call of Duty HQ is still the future of COD, where you have one sort, you download a launcher for free, and then you boot into different you know strands of Call of Duty from that screen, and you pay for different things, whether it's a campaign or whatever it is. Um, whether that is still the future, like what Ubisoft's doing with Assassin's Creed and Assassin's Creed Infinity. Um, and then maybe, because you were saying, like you know, they have campaigns or they have studios lined up for 2027 2028 maybe they are ostensibly story dlc packs for this wider platform of card that just lives on game pass and you get it if you have game pass um i don't know but i'm just like you know within that we've had multiple console generation turnovers for the last you know 15 plus years that they've been doing the 
uh, annual turnover and keeping up with that like that's a Herculean oh yeah painful task it's to pull like off. they're leaving memories behind like I feel like <laughs> if you look back on the last decade of Call of Duty you'd look at modern warfare yeah it's like the big lasting Black Ops 2 as well yeah. in the last decade. Oh, that was 2012, wasn't it? So yeah. not even in that bracket. From there on, you got stuff that people, no one cares about, like Call of Duty Ghosts, mm. Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, which obviously re- I think reviewed I like pretty Infinite well, Warfare but like, no one's really remembering no. it. Stuff like Advanced Warfare, Black Ops 3, these really kind of anonymous, blurry, sludgy games. And that we needed something, so... So, yeah. yeah, I mean, not that it will care because it's always going to sell bajillions and squillions, but it's just kind of like, come on, it could be so easily better than it no, absolutely. And you know what, Scott? Like, I was about six months ago, I was probably with you, and mm. I maybe naively thought, well, Microsoft's going to come in. They're going to, like, assess the issues that we've been talking about so long with mm-hmm. this fractured development cycle and people getting overworked and being dragged off projects and called in at the last minute to put, off, to put out fires. But I just don't have faith in that anymore. <laughs> like, looking at this roadmap and you know, looking at them like laying off a bunch of people from Activision Blizzard and the way they've kind of spoken about COD, it feels like they're going to be way more hands-off than I maybe naively thought they would. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just going to be business as usual, even without Bobby Kotick at the helm. Maybe it's just that much of a moneymaker that they don't want to interfere much. And unless there's a, something major happens, they'll keep pumping these games out because mm-hmm. they make a lot of money. I do have two things to maybe end this yeah, with. Absolutely. Two, two um, little details and two little questions. Mm-hmm. One is that um, next year's Call of Duty, which so far does not have a developer, the rumors about that is that it's going to be a direct sequel to Black Ops 2. And I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Doesn't Black Ops 3 already exist? And well, Black Ops 4. well, no. They're going back to the well, like what Ewan was saying, of things that they know were because okay. they've got so many anonymous sub franchises that have been um, that have came and went in the years since. So yeah, that's apparently going to be um, a direct sequel spin-off to Black Ops Two that remasters all of the Black Ops Two multiplayer maps and launches with them okay. in the same way that MW Three just launched with all of MW Two oh, right, maps. Okay. I think this sucks, especially <laughs> if you're, especially if you're selling it as a premium like full price game if yeah. it's a DLC if it's an add-on if it's even a remaster that's fine this to me with only 20 months on the clock by the way is crazy in my second little detail which is a question to you guys Tom Henderson in the tweet mentions that High Moon Studios was in the running at one point to make the game <laughs> um, and now that he thinks it's going to be track games but like who if anyone would you want to lumber with that um, project and bring into the COD fold as a main developer out of Activision's toy box because they already work. Everyone in Activision already works on COD. Yeah, Phoenix, they're High Moon, whoever else. So just plug in and play, don't you? I mean, yeah. So they're all kind of locked into that grim, grim I want, apparatus. Like, I want to, because I don't have the, the quote on hand, but when the deal was going through for the Microsoft stuff, maybe it was just a wider, vague statement that Phil Spencer made, but there was something he said that would about addressing annual release cycles and maybe we would relax them or something like that and uh, in terms of the developers specifically i still feel like raven are just just mining away at the walls and the content mines and the cod mines um, and i would like i don't want to give them this project i want to see them removed from it there's no one that i would want to put under this churn i want to free it up like um even if the end point of, of new age cod is the thing that i mentioned where you're just making smaller releases for an online multiplayer or an, or an online service and um, that maybe frees up the the human cost of this yeah but it's a it's a cadence to a franchise that doesn't need to be here or no, anymore. The Black Ops 2 stuff is well. The thing that I'm really confused about is that obviously Modern Warfare's reboot worked very well because not only was it playing on the nostalgia of, you know, what are revered as the, the greatest Call of Duty games of all time, major cultural touchstones in terms of the late 2000s video mm. game dork culture. Um, and <laughs> Black Ops has the same kind of notoriety with its characters. You know, you have Reznov, you have Woods and stuff. Cold War played with that mythos a mm. little bit as well, and then it also introduced some branching timeline stuff with the Modern Warfare games, which really was confusing. And do the kids even care about <laughs> Woods and Mason and everything now? Like this to me is like really, really weirdly desperate. And a direct sequel to Black Ops 2, like people can play those games because they were on PlayStation 4, so you can play them on PS5 or PS4, yeah. whatever you own right now. But even so, really, really weird. Yeah. I don't really understand this because surely you would just read 
boot it if you were gonna wanna do that again? It makes no sense to me either if this coming Call of Duty is also a Black Ops game that is kind of maybe trying to do that, I suppose, with Treyarch having four years on it to then immediately follow that up with the Black Ops 2 spin-off sequel remaster thing? That you know, seems strange. What comes to mind for me, this is from years ago, from like 2017-ish, when the Call of Duty movies were being mentioned. Oh, yeah. And the uh, the different eras of COD were being mentioned as where you might set a series of movies that would all talk to each other, one of them being World was War II. Was Michael Bay going to be involved in that? Was that the Ghost I think that was just a rumor. I think it was the recon stuff. Yeah, yeah. But um, that idea of you have all these different timeline placements for Call of Duty that you can sort of set things in, and it's either the World War II stuff or the boots on the ground, modern day stuff, um, or the futuristic stuff like Black Ops, or even past that, you got Infinite Warfare. They have sort of four or five main chunks of COD that you can plug stuff into. I wonder whether that's always been the overarching thing, because the game that leaked, um, was that at the start of January? That It leaked that they were doing another one that was just like Infinite Warfare. There was another one that was set in space. Oh, the Future Warfare that was cancelled. Yeah, it? it was yeah, like Future yeah. Warfare or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you were trying to plug another one into one of these five buckets that you have. Um, and I just wonder if you're trying to manage this whole thing that it's like, okay, what's a plate we haven't spun in a while? This one's starting to fall down. The Black, Op, the Black Ops 2 era hasn't been tapped into in a little while. We had Advanced Warfare and Infinite Warfare, but they kind of danced on both sides of that timeline. We can do another Black Ops 2 era one yeah. and call it... Like, if, if Black Ops Cold War didn't sell terribly, that that naming structure is horrific, but you can do Call of Duty Black Ops and then something else. Yeah. Black Ops Nebula or whatever the hell, and you just do something there. My issue is, you're right, that they haven't really gone back to the well in a big way and remastered, you know, Black Ops 2 in its entirety mm. or returned to that point just in the timeline. Box necessarily yep but they have nibbled on that timeline <laughs> they have like for instance already brought back some of the iconic multiplayer maps and put them in other games multiple times it's not like they haven't you want some more nuketown <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not like they just like left it and they haven't touched it in a while which makes it more confusing to me because they want to have this nostalgic swell while already having stabs at it previously. It's why Modern Warfare um, 2's remastered maps being in Modern Warfare 3, to me, didn't make sense because those maps have already been integrated into yeah. Warzone. We've seen some of them return. We've seen those weapons be mentioned and, uh, uh, sorry, uh, usable in certain scenarios, whether it might not have been in the full way of completely remastering it, but, like, you've gone back to that well numerous times. You released the remastered campaign for Modern Warfare 2. Like, <laughs> it's not a thing that ever went away. No, that's true. It's just that thing of, like like I said, trying to keep up with a certain franchise churn, a certain franchise turnover. Like, how do you have a new installment every year? And it's waxed and waned in regards to how important the campaign side of things is. Um, that was what I always went to. I did play I played thousands of hours of Call of Duty online, but I always liked to see what they did for the campaign. And then some years we started to see across the last few years, they just couldn't hit that box anymore. Like, Black Ops 4, it didn't have one, and then Modern Warfare 3s was the open world, kind of you know, middle ground. Black Ops yeah. yeah, so did they. I mean, they had that, because that was them chasing Overwatch. That was in the shadow of Overwatch. How do we make COD into a hero shooter? Um, and they did have all the cutscenes worked out, and there was a lot more for that potential campaign that didn't come together. And it's just, yeah, like, what, is, what do people want from COD? They clearly love Warzone, they love the multiplayer, and maybe campaign just falls to the wayside. I Sorry, you no, no, go no, 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 because no, I think I'm, I might be about to say what you're about to say, but I think that COD's identity has shifted to the point now where this nostalgia stuff is having diminishing returns. I think, sure, like, yeah. is, like you mentioned before, like, Warzone is the thing now. Yeah. Warzone is the thing that everything is in service of working towards now. People are spending 30 quid to play as Nicki Minaj in a Call of Duty game. Like, <laughs> yeah, we are. Not, like, people, people are not invested in, in, the, in the soaps and the prices of yesteryear. It's all about... So the idea of going back to that well... Rather than just just commit to the bit, man. I can't stand this like <laughs> just just half ass in it. Just just go. Just just commit to the bit because just it, I also hate this half foot in the past thing because yeah. mm. it's so blatantly cynical to me. Of like, oh, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember Big Sin? Do you remember? Do you remember Reds as well? Do you remember Reds and I'm just like, yeah, I remember them. I, I had my fun with them. <laughs> yeah, I was there at the time. They can they can go away now. <laughs> it's why Modern Warfare Three is so insulting to me because to its credit, Modern Warfare. 2019 wasn't a perfect game by any means. Mm. It wasn't even a perfect reboot, but it it felt fresh. It wasn't doing that mm. jingly keys, look at this nostalgia play um, thing. It was, you know, sometimes mentioning all the characters or reinventing them, but it had all new maps. It had an all new engine. It had an all new sort of game feel to it, a new flow of um, gameplay. You know, it really brought a lot to the table, not to mention when Warzone dropped alongside it a few months later. And we've just seen that approach completely 
be 180'd over the past few years, and then we end up with Modern Warfare 3, which is just, well, look at this nostalgia. Look at all these characters you like. Uh, we're going to just do the beats. What if uh, we the killed the so yeah, again? What if we just did it again? That would be fun. But yeah, going back to what you were saying, you and what I was going to get into is, you asked there, like, what is Call of Duty? Like, what do they want it to be? Mm. What do the fans want it to be? I think at this point, you cannot answer that because right. there is, Call of Duty is so much now. It is Warzone. It is DMZ. It is Zombies. It is um, a single-player story. It is an open-world story. It is Spec Can you rephrase this raids. point as Mambo number five? <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that in the next podcast. It's all of these things, and you'll probably have... 10 million people playing Warzone who have no idea who um, like Gaz or Soap or Ghost are outside of the skins they can play in yeah. the uh, matches and the cutscenes that you get at the start of every new season. Like, mm. I do fully agree that, you know, at one point the campaigns felt important. People were following those stories of Black Ops, of um, Modern Warfare. They wanted to see what was next. Mm. Now they are just a part of a Call of Duty machine that is has its focus and has its... Um, popularity centered elsewhere. It's also like, you know, the uh, the importance of a Call of Duty campaign was fundamentally related to what the importance of stories in gaming. I have a whole wider thought, and I'll do a video on this at some mm. point, about how gaming has nothing left to prove. And since then, we've got boring stuff because we're not chasing, like, messaging in games anymore, like the indie boom of the early 2010s. Like, gaming was chasing cinematics for so long, proving that it could hang alongside Hollywood. We've done that. Like, we've proven that you can make a game can make you cry. We've done that. Like, that whole thing, all of that stuff is out the way now, and we're just in the money era and it's like uh, the idea of a Call of Duty campaign that idea of rivaling a Michael Bay or a Bruckheimer or whatever just isn't on people's radars anymore I know how you save Call of Duty go on you uh, get playable JFK Fidel Castro and Richard Nixon back again you do a spin off of their zombie mode from Black Ops and it's just them (laughs) it's just a co-op you all get to play as them with their stupid little cornball lines and Call of Duty does not have does not have the gumption for this anymore you and (laughs) That's a billion-dollar idea. Do you want to know what's a two-billion-dollar idea? Do you want to know how I can elevate that? Go on, hit me. All of those characters are involved, and also, so is Nicki Minaj. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Two billion dollars. Thank you, Mr. Activision. Uh, I'll take it via check. <laughs> Nicki Minaj. Kissing is just there like, what is this, Nicki? <laughs> what do you call the, um, the dude, Rick? What's his face from Rick Dead from Walking Dead? Rick Dead. Yeah, Rick Dead. <laughs> Mr. Dead. Mr. Dead from The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get Richard him in. Dead. I'll be buying that skin tonight. It's finally go. dropping on the store. Richard Dead and Nicki Minaj are both heading that up. That is the reality of Call of Duty oh. right now. How do you save it? You can't. It's already <laughs> dead. Uh, this has been the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Ewan Patterson. I've been uh, Ewan Patterson. He's been hanging on, also joined by Josh Brown. Warzone rules, by the way. It's I don't know so if it does. Good. I don't know if that's true, but we'll catch you all very soon. Thank you all very much for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 